I'd like to read, please, in 1 John, <clears throat> the New Testament, almost towards the end, 1 John in chapter 4. We've been looking this week at one of the great things about the gospel. Again, uh, it's nice to see everybody who's here, and if it's your first time, I also would like to say welcome. We've noticed, first of all, that it is the gospel contains verity, or the gospel is a message of honesty. It is a true message. And as a result, it would not be good news if, if it wasn't true. We've also noticed that it's a message of reality. It changes lives. And then this week we have noticed it is a simple message, a message of simplicity. As I was thinking about what exactly to take up, there are so many simple verses. Really, these verses were not in my mind, at least not at the beginning of the week. But just yesterday, as I was sitting and praying for people who have been coming, some of you are here tonight. Um, these verses were impressed upon me, and I think they will follow very much with what Johnny has just been bringing before us. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 10. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. I'll just read it one more time. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now turn over to 1 John chapter 2. One more verse. 1 John 2 and verse 2. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, it says, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now you say a message on simplicity shouldn't contain a word like propitiation. How do you even say it? Well, I hope I'm saying it right. I was uh, <clears throat> listening to a man, and he studied the Bible for many, many years. And um, he was talking about words in the Bible that he, see, that he believes are the most important words. And this is what he said. He said, after all of the names of God, all the different names of God, including Jesus, propitiation is the most important word in the Bible. Well, we better know what it means if it's that important. Propitiation is the most important word in the Bible. Now, a way that you can think about it is the idea of satisfaction. Propitiation simply means a sacrifice that has pleased God. I want you to get this. What did Johnny read tonight? It pleased the Lord to bruise him. That is a verse without the word that is containing the truth of propitiation, a sacrifice that pleased God. Now, how we're going to understand this word and how we're going to understand this verse is just like this. I want you to notice that the gospel is fundamentally centered on God. It is not centered on us. It is not centered on me, and it is not centered on you. It involves you, and that's why we're very happy you're here. And there is a response that you must make to the gospel but the gospel centers on God. Listen to the verse he read again tonight. It pleased the Lord 
to bruise him. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It's about him. The gospel is about God. We live in a world that centers on us, a world that revolves around me, what I like, what I want, what I enjoy. And that can happen in a church, too. A church can be, I want to go to a place that I like. I want to go to a place where I'm comfortable. I want to go to a place where I like the music and all of these kind of things. A man-centered religion. Man is God, and God is just there when we need help. He is the ATM in the sky, and when we need help, we insert our prayer card, and out comes our blessing, and then, thanks God, see you later. And by the way, that offends God. God is not the ATM in the sky. God is the center of the universe. He is the most important person in this universe. The whole world, the whole universe centers on God, and the gospel is no different. The gospel centers on God. And so the message you have heard, if you've been here before, and the message you'll hear tonight is not a message centered on us. You know, there are people, and they preach, and they preach man-centered messages. So people come, and this is what they say. I have needs. What are your needs? I'm sick. Okay, I want to tell you about a God who heals all your diseases. And he can heal you tonight. And they have um, healing services. Then you have people, and they come, and they say, well, I'm poor. Oh, well, I want to tell you about a God. He'll give you lots of money. Man-centered, man-focused, but not true, eh? And not biblical. The gospel centers on God. And this is what I want you to learn from this verse, these verses. God has been offended. God has loved. God has been satisfied. And God has offered. Those four points from this verse. The first thing I want you to notice is that God has been offended. When it comes to this satisfaction, it says that he is the satisfaction for our sins. Our sin, the things that we have done, as Johnny has said, he used the uh, idea of robbing God. Our sins have offended God. You know, we, we talk to people all the time, and they have a hard time thinking that their sins, that whatever things that they have done are really that bad, especially when you compare it to others. Have you ever stopped to think of your sins and what they have meant to God? Now, a lot of times when we talk about sin, we talk about lying, cheating, stealing, and you guys here, you could, you could keep going. We talk about those kind of things. Those are sins. You know, in the book of Romans, it tells us that one of the sins that so displeases God is that his own creatures refuse to acknowledge him as God. They don't thank him. They don't worship him. Did you know it's a sin not to worship God? Romans chapter 1. It's a sin not to thank God. We are his creatures. He has made us. And it's a sin when we don't worship him and honor him as God. But many people, you know, maybe there's people in this meeting tonight and you're careless. You don't really care so much about my sin. Well, so what? You know, and when it comes to this idea of being offended, this is a buzzword today. I'm offended. 
And people get offended if you call them by the wrong pronoun today. And people get offended by the clothing you wear. And they get offended by all kinds of things. And, you know, we live in a very uh, touchy world. And so you say, I don't really care about offending. Well, you should care if you've offended God. I'll have to talk to my friend there because uh, this might not have to be on the recording to uh, protect the guilty. Um, when I was a kid, I went over to a friend's house for a sleepover, and I was outside of the protecting hedge of my parents. And what we did was this. It was the wintertime, and we went outside, and there was the woods by this guy's house, and there was a nice bend where the cars would come around, and here was, like, the woods right here, and they would come around and just keep driving. What we did was we went out in the wintertime, and we made snowballs. And as the cars were coming around, we threw them at the that was really, really dumb, okay? That was really dumb. In fact, I got hypertension, or I got very, very scared when I saw in the news that these kids were throwing things down at the cars and somebody died, and actually they were sentenced to murder. Maybe you've heard that news story somewhere around here, actually. They were throwing things down at the cars, somebody died, and the kids were sentenced to manslaughter. And I thought to myself, man, it's only the mercy of God that wasn't us. Because what we would do... As the cars would be coming around the bend, and we'd take our snowball, and right when they came around, they couldn't see us, we were in the woods, boom, right in the windshield. And I tell you, it was hilarious. We were like five of us, and we would just watch them as they're, in the winter, and, then they, and then some of them would honk, and some of them would roll down their window, what are you guys doing? And you know, it was very dangerous. Those cars, they could have gotten an accident. People could have died. But we didn't care. We didn't think it was a big deal. We were having a good time. It wasn't offensive to us. We were having a, a wonderful time until one of the cars that came around that bend and one of the snowballs that hit him, he pulls over. And he comes out with a flashlight. And it's not a flashlight that a normal person carries. He's an officer, a state officer. And he says, boys, where do you live? And under the flashlight, we didn't know if it was a gun or what it was, but it sure looked like one. And we came out and we said, just down the street. He said, go home. I'll meet you there. We walked home to my, this house that we were staying with. We walked in, and there was the police officer talking to this, my friend's parents. And we were shaking. All of a sudden, the weight came down. We have offended. We didn't feel like we offended. We were having a great time. But we had offended. And this police officer very graciously just reprimanded us. He called our, our folks. But that was the end of it. You know, maybe there are people here, and when it comes to your sin, you don't think it's a big deal. The lying doesn't matter to you. It's just a small thing. It's not murder. Stealing's not a big deal. Cheating. Taking God's name in vain. Swearing. That's not a big deal. Not thanking God. Well, who cares? Nobody does. It has offended God. And what is happening in the gospel meeting is the light bulb is being turned on. Flashlight. And to people who are carelessly sleeping in sin, God is saying, 
Wake up. You have offended me, and there are consequences for what you have done. We have offended God. We have rebelled against him in our sin. And the fact is, God is not like a police officer who can just say, well, you know what, don't let it happen again. God is a good God. You ever hear that? God is good. Do you know what it means if God is good? That means God must punish the crimes. A good God can't let crimes go unpunished. Imagine this. Imagine if you had a, um, a relative who was murdered, somebody you loved, and you watched the murderer do the deed and get away. And he was caught by the police and brought before the judge. And the judge said, you know what? I'm feeling very loving today. You're free to go. What would you think? You know what I would think? I would think the judge is more corrupt than the murderer. To free somebody? Oh, I just am feeling loving today. No. Justice must be served, and God's justice is no different. God must punish sin. The soul that sins shall die. The wages of sin is death. God must punish sin. And here's the great problem here. We have offended God. You say, I don't feel like I have. You have. The Bible says you have. You say, it doesn't bother me that I have. It should. We have offended God. And justly and righteously deserve to be punished. But God has loved offenders. Herein is love. Here's John, and he's going to tell us what love is. And he says, this is love. It's not that we loved God. You know, there's many people today, and they think they're going to get into heaven because they're going to try to love God enough. Do enough for God. Serve him enough. Pray, for it, pray to him enough. John says, here in his love, it's not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the satisfaction for our sin. You see, God has loved us. That is a tremendous marvel that God has loved rebels. Imagine those cars coming around and I am just throwing these snowballs at them and then they... They actually respond in love. That would be, but God has loved us. God has loved you. You know, I don't know everybody who's here tonight. I can tell you without, a, without one doubt, there is a God who loves you. You know, there are many religions in this world, and they preach a God who you must, you must satisfy him. He is a tyrant. You must fast to him. You must pray to him. You must sacrifice to him. The God of the Bible is a God who has loved us. And has sacrificed for us. He has sacrificed for us. Oh, that's great news. You know, there's no hope. I want you to notice this. There's no hope if God is not a loving God. If all we are is offenders, then we righteously deserve to be judged, and that's the end of it. The great hinge on which the gospel opens is this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Boom. And the good news swings open. What happened? How did he show that he loved us? Well, it says, he sent his son. And Christ came into this world to do what? It says, to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, God is the one who has been offended. 
God is the one who has looked at your sin, and he has looked at my sin, and he is the one who has been offended by them. And so if you are ever going to be with God, if you are ever going to be in heaven, he's the one who has to be satisfied with your account. It doesn't do any good if you're satisfied. That doesn't matter. It doesn't do any good if your parents are satisfied or the preachers are satisfied. You must be able to look the Bible in the eye. No eyes on it, but God in the eye. You must be able to look at the Bible and say this. God is satisfied for my sin. If you cannot say that, you are not ready to die. And you will not be in heaven. You must be able to say, God is satisfied with my sin. And the great news is that's what the verse is telling us. That's the whole point of the verse. The verse is telling us that God has sent his son. And when his son went to the cross, after men had done their worst to him, it pleased the Lord to crush him. It pleased the Lord to make him, he who never sinned, he who never had one offense to God. This was a man who never had one moment where he offended God. God never looked down at Jesus Christ and said, okay, there was one thing you did that offended me. No, in fact, there was a time where the heavens opened and God says this, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom is all of my delight. And yet God was pleased. Get this now. That is, that is marvelous. God was pleased to make him an offering for sin. Him, he who never sinned. And on the cross, what was happening? As he's hanging there with nails in his hands and his feet, his body is covered in his own blood. A crown of thorns is on his head and God is punishing him for sin. God is taking the wages of sin and causing Christ to be held accountable for them. God is looking at the record of how much we have offended him and what we deserve. And God is holding him accountable. God is holding Christ accountable for our sin. And that's great news. You say, why is that great news? Well, if Christ was held accountable for our sin, then we don't have to be. And herein is love. It was not that we loved God, but he loved us. And sent his son to be satisfied, to be, propiti to be the propitiation for our sin. After he had suffered, he said with a loud voice, It is finished. It is finished. You know, I remember hearing the story of a young man and uh, they were having gospel meetings in a big tent many years ago. And the young man came to those gospel meetings. They went quite long, almost eight, eight weeks. And the young man was coming, and he was very indifferent. He didn't really care about the gospel. He had no time for it, really, at least by all appearances. Well, it was the closing night. And so those preachers, they were out there, um, and they were pulling out the tent pegs. They were going to take the tent down. And finally, the young man comes up to the preachers and says, I really want to be saved. What do I have to do? Uh, what do I have to do? And he kind of said it with a smug thing on his face. I mean, eight weeks had come and gone, and he didn't seem very stirred. And the preacher just told him, he said, you're too late. It's too late. 
Well, the young man was now, didn't expect that answer, so he asked again, no, no, you, okay, you don't understand. I'm, I'm serious this time. I really want to be saved. What do I have to do? The preacher said again, sorry, it's too late. And finally, he was really starting to get worked up. He says, no, you, seriously, if I'm not saved, I'm going to be in hell. What do I have to do? The preacher said, it's too late. It's already been done. It is finished. Oh, if there's anyone here trying to do something to please God, God will never be satisfied with you. There is nothing you can do for your own sin, nothing you can offer him, nothing you can say to him, nowhere you can go for him where he will look at you and say, okay, now I see your sin and I see what you're doing. Okay, I'm satisfied. No, God will only and has only been satisfied with his son. And there's no other way. In fact, now listen to this. If God could be satisfied another way, then why would he send a son? And why would he allow his son to go through all that suffering if there was another way? You know, the Lord Jesus, in a very tender scene in the gospel story, he's falling on his face in the garden floor, and he asks God, is there any other way? And yet, when the answer is very clear, no, there's no other way, and he leaves the garden saying, this is the cup my father has given me, yet there are millions and millions of people who say, I'm going to help God, and I'm going to get a little bit of Christ and help God be satisfied with my sin. God has only been satisfied with Christ. Listen to the verse. He is, he is the propitiation for our sin. He is, not you, not me, not working, not praying, not reading. He, he is the propitiation for our sin. You see, when somebody trusts Christ, they find this. God has been offended by my sin. Christ has satisfied God for my sin. How do I know? That's what the Bible says. And they take God at his word. And because God is satisfied, they are satisfied. And they're saved. You say, I thought I had to believe the right way. I was waiting for a special feeling. A feeling will never satisfy God. You see, you see what the problem is? You're trying to satisfy you. But you must satisfy God. And a feeling will never satisfy God. And an experience, some people have a great experience. They see lights in the sky. An experience will never satisfy God. Christ will satisfy God. And every person in this meeting, maybe there's somebody here and you're going through doubts. You're wondering, am I really a Christian? Let me tell you this. God is satisfied with Jesus Christ. He said it's finished. God rests on Christ. If you rest on Christ, no matter if you have an experience you go back to, if you rest in this meeting on Christ, I tell you, what's solid ground? On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. He is the propitiation for our sin. How do we know that God is satisfied with Christ? Is it just because he said it's finished? What if I got up and climbed the mountain and I said, God, it's finished. That doesn't. You see, on the third day, God raised his son from the dead. And when God raised Christ from the dead, God was saying, it is finished. 
That's why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a crucial part of the gospel. That's why it is not the gospel if it is not somehow brought in and emphasized. Because God must be satisfied. And in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we see that God is satisfied with Jesus Christ for sin. He paid the debt. He did not owe. That's what Johnny has been bringing to us. And God has raised him from the dead. And so God has been offended by us. Yes, God has loved us. And God has been satisfied. I tell you, if there was somebody in this meeting and you came to this point in one gospel meeting, by the way, it doesn't take millions. In one gospel meeting, if you came to this point, I deserve to be punished for my sins. I could tell you a beautiful verse from Isaiah 53. The punishment was on him. You say, how, do, how am I saved? By taking God at his word. God said it. And here I stand. You see, so many people are waiting for feelings. Listen to me. Feelings come and feelings go. Feelings are high and feelings are low. That's about the end of my rhyming ability. But God is satisfied with Jesus Christ, my friend. If you rest there, you will rest secure. You will look at an eternity with all its unknowns and life with anything that could happen, accidents that could happen, sickness, and you would say, when it comes to my account, when it comes to my robbery, when it comes to my offense, Christ has paid for me. Because the Bible tells me so. Oh, that's peace. That's salvation. Salvation is when somebody says, I believe God. Even when circumstances don't agree. You know, there's a man in the Bible. Circumstances didn't agree. He was a tent maker. He's on a ship with a bunch of sailors. And the sailors, as far as circumstances go, they're saying, get rid of all this stuff and cut this off. And, and God says, no, don't do any of that. Everyone just stay on the ship. And this man, his name was Paul. He told all these sailors, he said, don't do any of that. God has said this. And I believe God. And all the sailors followed Paul's advice. And guess how many died? Zero. God's word is worth depending on. And what does it say? He has been satisfied with Christ. Christ and his word is enough. His work is enough to save us, and his word is enough to assure us. His word. If you're looking for something more than his word, there's nothing else there. It's his word. And we must rest in his word. This is God's receipt. This is God's receipt that the robbery that we've committed, Christ has paid for. You know the problem is? People don't care about God's receipt. They want to pay for it themselves or ignore it. But I tell you, in this meeting, you could be satisfied because God is satisfied. But one last point. He is the propitiation for our sins. You know, Johnny and I, we can stand here. We can rejoice in this. You know, uh, I was talking to my little brother just the other day. And he was talking about the different meetings that we have in the assembly. And he's like, I love the breaking of bread meeting. That's the meeting when we all gather together and think about Christ. But he says... You know, one of the meetings I worship at the most is the gospel meeting. <laughs> and that's true. You know, just now as I'm sitting here, 
He has satisfied God for my sin. There's nothing else I have to do. God has been satisfied for my sin, my rebellion. Nothing else I have to do. But what it says here is not just that he is a propitiation for our sin, not just me and Johnny. It says this, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. You know, one of the things that's so great about the gospel is it's not village news. (laughs) You know, village news. So we talk about things that are happening here in Livonia and uh, 10,000 miles around the world in Mumbai, India. They don't care. Sorry. <laughs> they don't care. It, it doesn't affect them. It doesn't matter. And, we, and, they, and they talk about things that are happening there and over here. We don't care. But this is news that isn't just relevant to some little village, some little city in Livonia. The Bible says this is news that can be taken to all the world. This is news that God has been satisfied on the issue of sin, and you can take it to all of the world. Jesus himself said, go into all the world. Preach the gospel. God has been satisfied for sin. That's why I love, you know, you look around even in this audience. There's different people from all over the world. I'm one of them, by the way. Here's a man from Mexico and Canada. I'm from India. I see a man there from China. I see some with roots in Italy. Some from Europe. Because he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for all the world. The Bible says this, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. God is satisfied with Christ for sin. If you're a sinner today, oh, that's great. Great. Great.